Proper football. What's up, guys? So today is our third podcast that we are doing, but it's our first video podcast, so this should be interesting. And today um, we have, we were just joking about it beforehand, but <laughs> coach, but also tactical mastermind, um, touch tight coach. He's, you know, a, a tactician who has been posting a lot on social media on his Instagram and um, just giving his analysis on the game. He works with a lot of uh, young, young academy players and just a really insightful guy. And we were talking a lot beforehand and we wish, we were just joking as well. We wish that, you know, we were recording, but um, good to start. And uh, so if you want to just explain to, you know, our proper football family, who you are, what you do and yeah, just so, background, that'd be great. Yeah, my name's uh, Leon, Leon Jackson. I'm from Wolverhampton in England. Uh, I work for Wolves Academy with the youth teams. Um, been there for some time, so that's my that's obviously my main job. Um, I'm over, over here on a placement with the Premier League, um, and uh, around leadership. So looking at how Gary uh, works with the team and the Gary V team, um, and hopefully take stuff back to back to the club, so back to Wolves. Um, so yeah, that's the main reason why I'm here, and obviously to pick up as as many as many points around business and leadership that I can take back to the club, and and obviously pick up bits with yourself around around football and proper football is a, a site that we've made links with as well. Definitely. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great to great to be here and, and to talk football. So talk, let's expand on that because I think that's really interesting, and I just learned about it today as well. You know, your involvement with obviously Wolverhampton and got a big three points today against United. Oh, so huge, huge three points. for them at the table. But <laughs> two wins in two weeks, by the way, we'll say. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, why you are over here in regards to the Premier League and just, you know, sort of expanding on that connection that they have with the academy coaches and why they send them to, you know, areas like the United States and all over the world. Yeah, yeah. so I, this specific case, it's um, <clears throat> a course that I'm on that's called the ECAS. So it's an elite coaches apprenticeship scheme. So for, for coaches of academies or anyone that coaches under 23s and below, um, you need to book a placement, one that's football and then one that's non-football. So this is obviously the non-football placement that I've chosen to come on. I've followed uh, Gary V for some time and looked at his content um, and the stuff he comes out with is, is, is motivating. So the, the first chance we got to, to get out here and uh, spoke to Tyler, who's obviously worked with Gary for some time, and he said, yeah, get yourself out here, learn what you can. Um, that we can take back to the club. So that was the, the main reason for coming out. Um, and then we've done, or hi, I've done a, a football placement at Anderlecht as well in Belgium. So I picked up as much as I could around the tactical uh, side of the game and the techni technical side of the game as well. Um, so yeah, those are the two placements that I've done this year. Uh, and hopefully they'll give me some, some stuff that I can take back to the back to the club, as I've said, and, and use with the players. Yeah, it's cool. And it's funny because we've both connected through Tyler as well. And um, that, that was both of our reasonings for, for coming out here as well. And obviously with, you know, Touch Tight, that was your way of, you know, getting connected through Gary's world and, you know, getting yourself in our offices. And for me, I've told my story before, but, you know, coming into VaynerMedia as well, that, that was sort of like the route I took was the football route. And, you know, thankfully Tyler was a football fan, so that yeah, helped a lot yeah. tremendously. But it just... <clears throat> You know, right now, like I'm sort of helping build the culture and we have like other people as well in the office that are, you know, just, you know, getting in touch with, you know, the specific lingo that, you know, people in England. <laughs> we were, use. Just, so, it's, we it's were really just talking funny. about yeah, the differences. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is so I'm, I'm glad, you're, you know, you're here and you're getting a taste of, you know, um, you know, just the, the culture around the office as well. Yeah. So that's really cool. But just to start off. So 
I'm just curious how you got originally involved before you go into touch tight, how you got involved into Wolverhampton. Cause obviously mm-hmm. they've made big steps into, you know, going from championship to the Premier league and not just, you know, getting involved in the Premier league and getting promoted, but having a strong team and, you know, challenging potentially for a European spot. Yeah, flying at the moment. It's, I was speaking to Tyler earlier, so during the game, I know Sid was watching the game as well uh, with yourself, and it was just, we spoke about where Wolves have come from. So originally Wolves as a club, um, very famous um, back in the 50s, 60s, you know, big big players, won the, won the league quite a few times, um, but then obviously had a bit of a rough spell around sort of 80s, going into the early 90s. Um, dropped down to the lowest league. I remember growing up and seeing, obviously as my hometown, Wolverhampton, just seeing them uh, being in league, what was Division 4, was the old Division 4, Jesus, which is now, yeah. yeah, which is sort of League 2 now. Um, so seeing them come from where they were, or sort of drop down to that level and then all of a sudden work their way back up, it's been it's been fantastic. So um, obviously with the investment that's come from uh, from China through, through Jeff and the investment that's been put into the club, Nuno coming in as, as the manager and fantastic, bringing the players yeah. in, it's just, it's something that the, the club and not just a club, but the city. So the people in the city that have been waiting for something to happen like this. Um, and myself as a, as a member of staff and listening to the owner speak. So the owner gets all the staff in and speaks about the vision of the club, what he wants to do in the next five to 10 years. It's, it's just, uh, it's unreal really where they are at the moment. So yeah, it's a, it's a massive step. Yeah, and, I, and obviously with our proper football angle, we're, we wanna, we're obviously a subculture account of 1.37 p.m. where you know, we focus on entrepreneurship mixed with culture, sports, and, you know, everything in between. And um, I'm just curious about, you know, how, like your path to making it into the Wolverhampton system, because I think that could be interesting for some of our followers who might not be focusing on a playing career, but might want to follow a path like yourself where you're training kids and want to become a coach and even a manager. Yeah, one day. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I played sort of semi-pro, so I played at probably the, I think it was sixth level, fifth level, up till I was about 29, had a bad injury, so that, that kicked me out of the game. I was a teacher from the age of 24, so I sort of played part-time and my job was a, a full-time teacher. Um, but my younger brother, who's 12 years younger than me, played for a local team. Um, so even when I was playing, I was coaching. So I was coaching the, the younger boys, so under 11s, under 12s, and sort of found my way in that way and just dabbled with coaching from a, from a younger age. Um, but when I stopped playing, I, t- I started to take the game seriously. I decided I wanted to stay in football and do something long-term. Mm. Um, and obviously my teaching gave me the confidence to go out and coach and, and develop players and communicate uh, with younger people. And I think that was the start, probably the end of my football career was the start of my coaching career. Mm. Um, I did what in the in the UK is a sort of level two. So you go if you I think if you play the game you go into a level two instead of doing the level one, two, three, four. Um, uh, so I did my level two, then my UA for B license, and then went on to do my A license. Um, did that in 2014. Um, I sort of built my way up from coaching grassroots under tens, under elevens, uh, local boys, which my younger brother played in. Um, to all of a sudden pl- coaching at district level, so which is sort of Wolverhampton's best kids in the city, mm. um, and then into the academy. So luckily, I knew somebody who was uh, who was part of this district team, but uh, sort of management, but also involved in the academy, who gave me the opportunity to say, "Look, let's have a look if you fancy it. If you if you enjoy um, uh, coaching, or you, you know you're passionate about developing yourself as a coach, 
come to the, come to the academy and see see what you think. And now, sort of eight years later, I'm still at the still at the club yeah. and developing my developing my craft, as it were. That's awesome. And I think one other big thing I want to get out of this is obviously myself having you know made that transition from you know leaving college after a couple of years to you know being by myself training overseas and looking for a club. I think it's important that at an early age kids understand one how hard it is but mm -hmm. two like also the opportunity that comes with you know just surrounding yourself with people like yourself and um i, I think it's really beneficial for like the progression of a player it's a great um, point yeah it's i think it's just on that i think it's dip, it's very hard to to tell younger players to it's so to have I, that. I mean yeah so everyone difficult. told me oh you know i'm i'm like they're in their later 20s and they said oh i wish i was your age and then yeah. you, you register it for a bit and you and think, then you go hey, back and then you know, just like you wake up and it's like three years later and <laughs> you resort to type yeah. because I mean, that's what, that's what, if whatever person you are or whatever type of person, young person you are who plays, it's very difficult for a coach to go in and say, do this, do that. I think players have to learn by mistakes. Obviously as coaches, you can try and influence that. Um, we had a debate about should players adjust to what the coaches character is mm. so if you're if you're kind of a if you have a certain character as a coach should you adjust to your players or should players adjust to your style um and i think there's an argument for both but i don't think you can just turn it on and off for players that's something that that comes from within individuals especially young people you see such a difference in those that are really motivated to do well mm. and those that maybe need a bit a bit more motivation from the coach i think an issue we have here and i don't know if it's like this in england um just growing up Coaches focus a lot on results. Well, I, I don't want to, that's like a, this is a general statement, but from my own experience, they're more focused on getting the three points on a weekend compared to developing yeah. over time. And maybe that just wasn't signaled to me directly. Mm -hmm. Maybe they obviously, obviously you want to progress as a player and as a coach, that's, that's your job, but they're very persistent on, you know, having us win a match and grind it out, even if it, it took away from our yeah, development. Whereas I think. I think you know, even even coaches that I had the opportunity to train with overseas and who are involved with prof like high professional clubs, they would often tell me in friendly matches like this game literally doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter if we yeah. lose. Just we would we just want to like test out a new system or yeah. you know try you out in a new position and just want we want you to learn in different ways. And I think that's beneficial to the progression of a player, but. That just talking about this is like a pretty good segue into another idea I had because I know we're kind of pressed on time, but mm -hmm. um, I wanted one thing that I've been thinking about recently, and it's good that you're here for this, is social media in today's football world and even the sports world in general. But as a coach of a Premier League academy team, is it fair to say that you would f sign a player? just because they have a big following on Instagram or like that you would, they would get a look purely off of that. <laughs> like, is it, cra is it crazy to think that? Like yes, would, interesting. Would, would, just looking at Instagram videos, would you say this guy has some potential? Okay, he has some talent? Yeah, it's like, an interesting question. It's, it's not something that would have been, that would have been on the radar in the last five years. You know, it's not something that really years, comes yeah. up maybe in two, two years. Yeah. yeah. But I think recently something that's happened recently, I won't go into too much detail, but there are the younger players that do have, Instagram accounts, so you know players that have a, quite a big following, yeah. uh, whether they're signed or boys that you might look at from outside the club, um, and you can see that that's something that impacts on players' development or players' confidence. 
So social media being a, quite, a, quite a big part of young people's lives now, whereas when we were younger, it, was, it didn't even exist. There was nothing to talk about. Now it's almost like, is it better to, we had this debate actually, is it better to, to work off the ball or go and press and, and work for the team, which you would never post on Instagram or you'd never put on Snapchat, or is it better to, okay, let me get the ball and try and take somebody on and try and get a nutmegs. And mm. actually I'll look at the video clip later and try and edit that and clip that and post it on Instagram. Yeah. So that's something that we, <laughs> it's something funny you say, it's something that we're, we're aware of and that could, we've seen that it could potentially impact on players development i think your question was more around recruitment but in terms of no, social media and you brought media, up a good maybe. point too because and that just even you know reminded me of how social media is like i forget the word but it's like instant gratification that's what i was thinking yes of. and you know as a player one mistake you can make is getting too comfortable and i've definitely had that in the past but mm -hmm. you know if a player's you know getting followed by so many people and you know so many people are showing them love because they're only posting their goals they're like you said like megs or like any skills that they yeah. can produce in the field that instant gratification can ruin that like out like ruins a tough word but it's the truth like it could ruin them if you know they move on to that next level and then they're just not prepared because so many people have been you know complimenting them on their their instagram their social media yeah that's their a videos, good point. whereas what it matters how you develop as a player on the pitch and by learning from your failures yes and which they won't have they won't have had many so if you if they're basing their success or perception to people off, off instagram or snapchat and they, they don't experience failure it's very i, I don't know if it's a generation but it's very yeah. difficult for them to to adapt to or to you know to uh what's the word deal with failure or come back from any negatives or we call it bounce back ability and we're even in, I mean, even in this environment, you know, within Gary's world, like he's very big on, um, you know, how we should take away eighth place trophies. And as a kid growing up, yeah, I've seen, I've seen, seen a lot of that I've in these videos. Received them. I never wanted anything to do with them because if you're not first, then what's the point of celebrating yeah, at that point? Yeah. You know, it's difficult and, though. It's, see, that's that's but where I, the, again, the I understand comes where, in. where it's difficult for a parent because you want your kid to always be happy. But I feel like long term, it's the better move to teach them. You know, failing as a, a kid is the best way to learn. Yeah, and you know, I remember training with one of my good friends in like middle school, and we were practicing freestyle, and we would you know practice free kits in the backyard, and we would all like. I remember missing so many times, but then the more you just keep doing it, mm -hmm. you're, you're going to, it's going to stick with you forever. And I think especially as, you know, a, a kid, you know, whether you're 10, 11, 12, those are the crucial years where you develop those certain like raw talents that yeah. are just innate in you. That's when you can take them to another level and have them stick with you for like the rest of your career. Like yeah. for me, for example, volleys have been my strength because I just practiced them in the backyard since I was like eight. Yeah, you know what I mean. So like, I think it's also good to make sure kids are not just training twice a week, but doing the extra bits. And that for me, that's something I, I, I'm trying to like give all these examples so people can take them. Like, if you want to progress, you know, don't just go to the trains on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Go after school and kick the ball against the wall and practice yeah. your first touch. Do your like, own thing. Yeah. You know, find a friend to toss you a ball. Practice your, you know, your receiving, playing out wide. So you like, do an extra literally doing anything i think you, you have to but i do think it's a mental it is a mentality and, and I'm, I'm sure you probably 
tell your, your players all the time. Yeah, that, practice at home. It. I mean, they're at the club quite often, so we do say have some downtime. But that you know, if you'll see that you won't need to tell the players that have a real good chance of making it to go and practice because they'll already do it. So yeah. the best players, that are, yeah, even, at, even at younger like, ages, yeah, they'll they'll yeah. just go and train and do everything they can. They'll come in early, four o'clock, and do their bit, and they'll leave at eight. So it's um, I think you'll find that probably the ones who are motivated, where you don't have to motivate them, are probably the ones who have got a better chance of, of progressing. And I, I think with academies, you have to weigh up development. Um, you know, some not every player is going to get through. I think it's yeah. probably two to five percent of players might get scholarship. It's or crazy. It's unbelievable. So. You have to really look after the... It's not just the boys that are going to make it. It's the, the whole boys that are part of the academy have a responsibility to work with all of those players and, and develop them. Um, and I just think it's, it's important that we, you know, we don't forget that. And I think that as a club, we're very good at that and making sure that even if players leave and go to another club, whilst they're at Wolves, they're developing as individuals as well. That's a good point. And that's one of the, point, the last points I want to make before we can talk about touch tight specifically, because I know that's why you're here and I want to make sure we use the rest of our time to focus on that. But one last thing is um, you mentioned, you know, two to 5% of players don't make it out of academies. Mm-hmm. That statistic is crazy, but I just wanted to ask you what your thoughts are on, you know, what players, <clears throat> how players should approach that that mentality of knowing, okay, that the odds are, aren't as likely. So is it a bad mentality to go in thinking, you know, what should my fallback be? Yeah. I know people always debate, you know, if you, if you already have a fallback, you're already yeah, going to fail. You're not going to be 100% committed. Um, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, some could argue it's practical. So what are your thoughts on, I, I, and you just mentioned it now that, you know, your club specifically helps players that don't make it. They try to push them into a good direction, mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic. And I think it's something that is, needed in most clubs because mm-hmm. it's just a practical um thing to have but just so just what are your thoughts on like players that don't make it and kind of have nothing to fall back on yeah yeah, yeah. Sense? i think it's we've had this big debate i think the premier league <clears throat> so we had a conference on the ecas course which is quite interesting fact they said if you took a 10 year old every 10 year old that was in an academy in the uk and put them into a school mm-hmm. so in be year six in in the uk yeah it would be an outstanding school so it would be the top school in the country. If you took all the 15, 16 year olds out of, the, out of all academies in the country and put them into a school, it would be a failing school. So that was a, that was a statistic that the Premier League raised and they, they asked a the question, well, why is that? So I think as clubs, we have a responsibility to make sure that education is provided. I think sometimes when players come in, they just think football, 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 because they want to, obviously yeah. they want to become footballers and they forget about the, the other bit. Yeah. So I think it's, the education in all academies, I think, across the country, ha- we have to make sure that that is as just just as uh, just as much a focus as developing players to become become top footballers or professional footballers. I, I mean, I totally agree, and I think that's looking back. I'm just trying to again. I, I've said it before, but you know, any way we can be of value to our followers on proper football, but um, you know, making sure that you're not just focusing on one thing, like just you know, branching out to other like as Gary says you know tasting try cooking for example or try like other interests that you might have because it's just it's just a good thing to have under your belt but you never know one day I think you need to expect that this the life of a a professional or like the life of a footballer doesn't last forever Mm -hmm. and having something long-term I I think is beneficial hugely Um, beneficial yeah 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 so just going off that let's talk more about touch tight so okay really quick if you can just 
give like a one to two minute rundown of like what your focus is, what the account is for. And if you can just say uh, the handle as well, just so uh, everyone can go follow yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well. So um, Touch Tight is a company that obviously I built for three or four years. Um, the website is touchtight.com. Cool. Um, the Instagram handle is touchtightcoach. I nearly forgot that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just a, an online platform for coaches across the world and it's sort of a tactical, fo- has a tactical focus, mm. um, just allows co- any coach in the world just to access different practices. Um, but we, ani- we animate content, so we try to make it as enjoyable or mm. you know, as realistic and enjoyable as possible. Um, and really just to reach out to people and educate coaches in a more creative way. So rather than just doing your standard sort of a UA for level one, level two, you've got something slight with a slightly different angle. So if you're more tactically focused in the game, you want to learn something slightly different, um, looking at constraints led and progressions in different practices. So knowing how to progress certain practices, um, that's where our real focus is at the moment. Uh, we've, we've had a, a real good, real good bit of growth this year. Quite a, quite a lot in the US. Um, in New, in New York actually, it was quite a, quite a few followers. Um, so yeah, just building that and trying to get that across across uh, across the world as well. So yeah, ties hand in hand with. Mm. The job that I do, obviously, learnt working at Wolves, that's my full-time job, that's my main focus, but having Touch Tight as, a, as an additional um, business or a focus for me as well is, is something that drives me too. I want to play devil's advocate really quick. So for me as a, a, a young player, and I, I spoke with other players as well, um, just from when we were younger, if they were interested in the tactic side, because I know it is a lot of information to take in and there's just so many different you know types of tactics that yeah. you know coaches want to implement in and too much every sometimes. too much maybe <laughs> but you know every coach has their different ideas and they like to follow you know barcelona uh you know united like ac milan uv like there's so many clubs you can name like atletico like with their yeah. defensive style and all that liverpool and liverpool i know big liverpool <laughs> fan right here um but and it's fun like for me just you know googling and YouTubing all the different teams and just seeing like how they like to play, even like the mid-table teams. I love Real Betis as well. Shout out Real Betis. <laughs> yeah. Um, but how? And again, going back to the, the original question, um, do you have any players that just like don't enjoy the tactic side of it and just kind of want to play it by ear? If that yeah, makes sense. I and just kind mean. of like let the game flow and yeah, I see how it plays out. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I think it's more <clears throat> what we try to do, especially in my own coaching, is disguise the learning sometimes so it's not all about the tactical side so you know you don't need to explain how to play a 4-3-3 or how to press in a three or it's more disguised within the practice so in terms of designing the sessions the tactical element that you want to get out of it is within the practice design so the players will be engaged in the practice and will do what what is expected and what they're trying to and they're learning from it but they're actually developing understanding of a game model that you're trying to implement without them knowing about it Mm. Um, we do a lot of stuff around small-sided games, so position-based small-sided games that you could literally pick up and put into an 11v11. So they're actually showing the skills that they'd use in 11v11, but in a smaller, uh, smaller condensed area, um, and then transferring that learning into a, into a bigger area in a game. So it's, it's very much around not boring them to death with yeah. uh, ta- the tactical <laughs> side of it. I actually, enjoy, I mean, to be fair, besides a few set-piece uh, <laughs> sessions we would do, I did enjoy the tactic side of it. Um, sometimes it did feel like, you know, like the NFL where like there's a play, you write yeah, it out yeah. and you do it. Whereas, and that, that's that, originally that's how 
I've looked at tactics like I would look at it as like a play that you want to have at a specific moment, a specific time. Yeah. Whereas I, in my opinion, like I think it's just better to like have the game flow, but obviously have a, you know, a general consensus of like what you want to get out of your system and, yeah. you know, by how the game is playing out, use what you've learned in training to, you know, get out of a little situation with a one, two, or like, you know, no, having a player, like teaching a player to like receive it. If he's in trouble and he spots a, a player on the wing, like mm -hmm. being able to switch it yeah, and just switch the, the run of play. So you're talking about, yeah. So decision, stuff like decision that. Like, decision, oh my God. That's it's hugely, yeah. Hugely yeah. important. Knowing, knowing like your next pass before you even get it. Yeah. Like, yeah. But that, but things like that. So that kind of knowing your next pass, and this is where a lot of the stuff that we're doing in the practice design and it links with, you know, stuff that we're doing at Wolves is very, very much linked is around decision-making. So looking at how relationships build between players. Mm. So if, I, if I'm a central midfielder and you're a central midfielder and I know that you like to get forward more often than defending, I'll have an understanding of that and I'll probably provide more cover for you on certain areas of the pitch. Same with a, a fullback and a winger. If a winger likes to come inside on his stronger foot, the fullback's more likely to make the overlap. So trying to develop that relationship and, and improve work on time. Then you can start to look at the timing of your runs, the, mm. the weight of your pass. Um, where's he going to cross the ball? Is he going to put it across near post for the strike or is he going to put it back post? So developing that relation, those relationships in practices within the design and having player objectives that link to each other, I think is key to, to player development. And I'm just curious now, just going off of what we've been speaking about, at what age should a player have the fundamentals down, such as, you know, being able to hit a long ball, like a 40 yard long ball. So technical, yeah. Just being able to have that confidence <laughs> yeah. to like receive the ball with like two players coming on them and like knowing, you know, to play it back, not to rush it forward and, um, you know, how to like, like how to shoot from 25 yards yeah, out, how to take yeah. a free kick, how to hit a set piece. We had, this, we had this debate. We talk, we talked about, um, like yeah. even weak foot as well. Like for me, that was a big thing. Too. Left foot, right foot, left yeah, foot, right yeah. foot, both. Like just training with your weak foot more than your right, with, with your uh, stronger Strong foot. foot. Yeah. So uh, the foundation phase is sort of um, eight to eleven. So in the mm -hmm. in the academies, eight to eleven, which is very much a technical focus. So right foot, left foot, um, dominating one v one. So one. Is that the first? Sorry to cut you off, but is that the first thing that a, a scout would notice if they if they're not technical enough with both feet? Um, or is that, or do, do they look at it as a plus if they can do that? If they can do it, it's probably yeah. a plus, yeah. If someone's just right-footed and they can take everybody on, then that doesn't stop them from recruiting. But, yeah. but I think it's, it's um, yeah, it's looking at the technical bits, the 1v1s, or to the age of 11, 12, and then within that, looking at decision-making. So how, if I'm in a 2v1 overload now, how do I use that, my teammate, to get around you? Can I still take you on? I think one of the, the examples was Van Van Dyke on the weekend. Uh, was it Liverpool Tottenham? I think when Sissoko took uh, Van Dyke on on his left foot. And oh, then he, he, had he just skied it over. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, had yeah. Son on the on the right side. But Van Dyke's decision making in that instant, that speedy response, where he said, "Right, I'd rather Sissoko have it on his left foot, someone who's probably not scored all season, than risk the chance yeah. of playing Son on his right foot." So he's, he's blocked that pass, pass off and allowed Sissoko to take the shot, and it's worked out. So I think decision-making in those instances, whether it's defending or attacking, is, is crucial for, for players. And they develop that as they go through. But yeah, right and left foot, um, being able to pass over short distances. I think you mentioned longer passing. Yeah. Some players can do it at 10, 11, but some players may not be able to do it until they get to 13, 14. You know, some of the smaller players. Do you feel got, that's important to, like being able to, let's say you're a left mid, you receive it from the left back. 
you could play it back, but you also see that the left back on the other team is like pushed in a little bit, and then you're, the the right minute on your team has that like there's like that gap. I know Jared was like amazing at that, just yeah, like yeah. being able to receive it, looking up, and just like hitting that outside like that outside curve long yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is that like our long ball is a big part of your um, your build up play? Yeah, this year especially Wolves is they have the we played wing back so three <clears throat> we played a three four three mm. now we're three five two so we changed it slightly, but we've used the width really well. So we if you look at Neves and Matinho and players who play deeper, Cody as a as a sweeper, always looking to switch the play. So being able to switch it long distances, right foot left foot. But it's very difficult. So we had this debate about tw under 12s and 13s, trying to replicate what the first team do. Mm. It's almost impossible to replicate it at that age because the younger ones just don't have the power to be able to switch the ball into, you know, control it and switch it. So what we had to do is build play through midfield. So develop the switcher play in a different way. Um, so you can replicate it to a certain extent, but you have to think about the players you've got in, in that group. Yeah, that's true as well. Just playing to your strengths and like... Exactly, yeah. Especially as a younger age, playing to your strengths, but then focusing on their weaknesses as well to yeah. make sure that when they progress forward, they have that understanding of, you know, what their weakness is and then being able to, you know, implement that in a game. Yeah. Um, like just say like the last few minutes we have and just yeah do some like these fun questions. So I know uh, Leon's a Liverpool fan. I am a Liverpool fan, yeah. Um, well, and you and Wolves, I'm a, yeah. I'm a big Wolves. And we were just using Van Dyke as that example, so I kind of caught that. <laughs> um, so let's see. Right now, who who is, in your opinion, the best center back in the world right now? You say Van Dyke? Wow, I think. I think so. I can't think. Nobody comes to mind right now. Hummels is obviously one of the top. Top defenders um, over the years, what Chiellini's been one of the top ones, um, but at the moment, I can't see a defender that's better than. And you've left out a big one. Wait, 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 wait. Who have I missed out? Nationality, Spanish. Oh, Ramos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, so, an argument—not an argument, <laughs> but like a discussion I've been having with uh, one of my friends—is, in my opinion, this is very bold. I know there's defenders that we've seen over the years i i was very young at the time but like you know you have like maldini kind of i'm italian so like maldini Cannavaro, are like oh, two top Berezi, top Berezi, one of the original nesta ones, like yeah. we've had it like we're very known for a def defensive style of play and obviously we've grown a lot of talented center backs but um yeah like you mentioned hummels is another fantastic player i think a few years ago he was very good um he's kind of been on a decline but van yeah, dyke is like up there um even something like even John Terry was so good back he in the day. He was good, yeah. He lacked um, pace, but he, what he made up with his lack of pace was his his ability to read the game. So yeah. we always say, if you lack pace, you've got to have something that's different as a defender. And he's, I mean, yeah, there's PK Varon, but so PK the, the Varane, argument, yeah, yeah. the art, like the discussion we've been <laughs> having is based on just his overall package. You, I think you can argue Sergio Ramos is like like all time, yeah, like one all time great. I'm not, I, I don't want to like say that I'm saying it, I think he's definitely in the discussion because you look I think at, so I can't believe I missed him out four I shouldn't have missed him out I don't know four that. Champions Leagues in a row well, not in a row but three in a row I believe three in a row with Zidane four yeah. and then World Cup two Euros very true and he was playing in all of those matches as well yeah and he, you look at yeah. you look at the goals he scores. I mean, he takes free kicks. He can he he's he's like a striker he's at times. Whenever yeah, they're yeah. down, like he's always there. Like he's such a clutch player. He's and, been a leader for Spain um, and Real Madrid for many many years. So yeah, I, I'd agree. If you'd asked me maybe a year or two ago, 
I would have said Ramos, but I, I think, like you said, Hummels is on the decline. I think Ramos is maybe starting to, to wane. Yeah, I mean, even this year, they definitely, obviously, Real Madrid were going through a tough spell, but I don't know. I mean, I, as an Italian, and obviously, we always had d- difficult times against Spain. Like, in, in the Euro, they, they beat us 4-0, and um, I remember we lost in Euro 2008, and then we've just always had a tough time, time against them, and then that also made me realize, like, you know, Italy's supposed to be very good at their defense, defense but then team, Spain yeah. was just outclassing I us think every Spain, time. But Spain were, they went through a phase where they were untouchable. Didn't matter who, which team it was, you couldn't get near them. And no, they had like David Villa, Torres in his prime, yeah, like just, Iniesta, David Silva, Xavi, and Mata. Like. I think that, that generation has changed the game. I know we speak about Ajax and total football and Cruyff mm. and that kind of thing, but... I think the way Barcelona have played we're over the still last in that 10, period, 15 years, I think, I think we, yeah, we're still in it. So now you see the impact that Guardiola is now having at Man City, but not just at Man City, but the clubs in the Premier League now. Even Liverpool, to, they've turned into a, a very, very like exciting attacking yeah, team. Yeah, attacking front team, three. not just counter-attacking now. It's all of a sudden now we're going to play with two full, two full-backs that go and play high, uh, three attacking, you know, three strikers that are attacking players that are some of the best in the world. That's, bias. That's a bit of bias there. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, you, you, suddenly you see the influence that Barcelona has on the Premier League and Guardiola now has on Man City and now Liverpool starting to play a little bit of football. But I think Man United have got some catching up to do, especially after watching that against Wolves two times on the track in the last two weeks as well. So. Yeah, and we, we also talked about up-and-coming players, especially some English players that you're familiar with when we were watching the game. And just to touch on maybe some players that you think no one's heard about that you think could make a name for themselves maybe in a year or two or yeah. five years from now just I really the players you've been working yeah, with yeah so some of the young one of the first boys that I worked with at Wolves uh, when I went eight years ago was Morgan Gibbs-White so you may have seen him at, at Wolves well, well we'll make sure to, to put him in the comments in this oh, video on fantastic. Instagram we'll yeah, yeah. Him, maybe. he's, t- he's, t- yeah, he's yeah. on Instagram and whatever I yeah. think they all are at this point um, but yeah he's a boy that's come you know from the age of seen him from 10, 11 that's come through uh, won the World Cup with England uh, yeah. recently, um, and he's very—he's in and out at the moment, but he's very, very close to playing consistently for for Wolves. Um, you the know, first team in the first team, yeah. So I think he's on the bench today. So he's, you know, he's a player, very exciting player. I think he was voted one of the top ten youngsters in or up and coming youngsters in the world in one poll recently this week. Um, but yeah, regardless of that, he's a he's a top player that that we need to need to look out for and uh, he's a great boy as well fantastic fantastic boy in the academy and the club are very proud to have somebody like that to to look at and, and know there's a bright future ahead of him that's awesome yeah um lastly liverpool are they, are they lifting the title there's in may no, oh, there's no doubt about it <laughs> <laughs> what we're hoping for is that man united do us a favor against um yeah man city and i don't yeah, know when the, the game is actually in a few weeks up. yeah so I think if we do that, I can't see us dropping many, many points now. I think Man U have got Spurs, as, Man City got Spurs as well. Not sure, I'll have to check it out. I think but, so, um, yeah. So uh, we can't have we can't have another Man City win. So yeah, I, I hope so. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, that was uh, our third podcast of Proper Football Podcast. Um, first uh, filmed podcast, so that was definitely a fun experience here in the office. And uh, obviously, you know, we're still working on, you know cleaning everything up but for the most part I, I had a great discussion and this is an awesome time and it was great to meet you i'm glad oh, you can come fantastic. out come visit us in the office in new york and um we'll see you guys next time thank, thank you, you.